is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Peter Clotty, and here's what's coming. Some of our supporters were beaten and arrested, and many others were injured in Arare, in Kwekwe, and in the various parts of our country. That was Nelson Chamisa, head of Zimbabwe's Citizens Coalition for Change Party, which was the biggest winner in Saturday's by-elections on the need to reform election laws due to violence and other actions. And all this and more coming up on African News Tonight. The World Food Programme says the first international aid convoy in three months was about to enter Ethiopia's war-stricken region of Tigraya today. The agency said on Twitter... WFP-led convoys to Tigraya are back on the road and making steady progress. The first convoy was bringing 500 metric tons of aid, and the second one, expected later in the day, was carrying 1,000 tons. Aid agencies have said the Tigraya region has become a humanitarian catastrophe since conflict between the Tigrayan leaders and the Ethiopian government broke out more than two years ago. Both sides have blamed each other for blocking aid to the region. Fresh fighting between rival groups in Sudan's Darfur has left some 45 people dead over two days as tribal leaders reported that fighting persisted in the latest ethnic violence. The Security Committee of South Darfur State said 15 people were killed Tuesday and 30 on Wednesday in the fighting between the ethnic Africa Falata people and an Arab tribe in villages outside Nyala. The French news agency AFP cited a medical source as saying around 20 wounded, some critically, were taken to nearby hospitals. Sudan's western restive Darfur region was ravaged by a bitter civil war that erupted in 2003 and left 300,000 people dead and 2.5 million displaced, according to the United Nations. The main conflict has subsided over the years, but the region remains awash with weapons and deadly clashes often erupt over access to pasture or water. UN peacekeepers in Mali have deployed to the northeast border with Burkina Faso and Niger after reports of civilians being massacred. Annie Reisenberg reports from Bamako. The UN says Mali's UN peacekeeping mission, MINUSMA, has deployed forces to Mali's northern tri-border area amid increasing insecurity. A UN statement to the media released Thursday says that attacks by armed terrorist groups have had a devastating impact on the already distressed civilian population and have resulted in dozens of deaths. Reports on social networks have circulated in recent weeks claiming that hundreds of civilians have been killed by Islamic State-affiliated extremist groups in the Menaka and Gao regions of Mali in the country's northeast. Mali's northeast border area with Burkina Faso and Niger has been plagued by increasing insecurity in recent years. In August of 2021, more than 50 civilians were massacred in villages in the area. The Malian army said in a March 15th press release that it had conducted airstrikes in the Menaka region following terrorist attacks against the population. An alliance of Tuareg nationalist groups claims that following the killings, the Malian army detained and executed 17 civilians in the town of Ansango, Mali. The Malian army published a press release this week saying it is aware of and investigating accusations of abuse. The release asks people to distance themselves from terrorists to minimize the risk of collateral damage. VOA attempted to reach a Malian army spokesman for comment, but he did not return phone calls. Human Rights Watch published a report in March that says the Malian army and armed Islamists both have killed more than 100 civilians since December. 
Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali. There has been a large global effort to get aid to the victims of the conflict in Ukraine. Gregory Ram, the head of humanitarian response for the aid group Save the Children, calls the response extraordinary. He tells viewers Carol Gunsberg that the response illustrates the problems aid agencies always face in getting attention to a number of humanitarian crises around the world, including in Africa. Uh, we, have, we always struggle to get attention to the vast majority of crises around the world. I mean, today, 190 million children, including those in Ukraine, live in areas of, of serious conflict. 82 million people are displaced around the world. And yet today we are focused on, on, on the Ukraine crisis. Um, and so it's a great question. And I wish we got this question every day about those crises around the world and not just in comparison to what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, some humanitarian observers see disparity in the responses. And do you? Absolutely. I mean, it's but it's it's a busy world, right? It's a busy world, and I, mean, I think there are two kinds of of disparities. One has been the we we'll call it unfortunate comments that sort of frame, well, how could this possibly happen uh, in Ukraine to these people? And I, I think you know that has shown a light on the disparity of sort of perspective and analysis. But in a busy world, there are many crises that go uh, that are neglected. Right now, we have a, a we have a world uh, facing conflict, facing the climate crisis, COVID, and yet it is difficult to get the world's attention to Sudan, to Eastern Congo, to Yemen, to uh, to the Sahel, to those places where children are suffering um, in the same way that the children of Ukraine are suffering. Uh, the World Food Program and other aid agencies already have had to cut rations or cut services because of funding shortfalls. Has Save the Children experienced this or does it anticipate shortfalls? No, we do not. Ex at the moment, we're not seeing a cut here in order to, because people say, take my money from this crisis and move it to another crisis. And actually, I'm hopeful that this has started a conversation. Because we are at this point when people reach out to save the children and say they are interested in supporting Ukraine, we make a point of saying it's not just Ukraine. There are children and families in desperate need facing conflict and displacement in other parts of the world. Would you be willing to support our children's emergency funds so we can put these resources where they're most needed? And we are seeing uh, a surprising number of people saying yes to that request. Do you anticipate any resources being diverted to Ukraine that might have gone elsewhere? I don't. Uh, I don't see that happening. What I do see happening, though, is what's happening. It's uh, the crisis in Ukraine is actually making needs greater in other parts of the world. So many parts of the world are facing a severe hunger crisis today as a result of COVID and the economic co collapse, as a result of the climate crisis, as a result of conflict. And we know that so much of the wheat in the world and other grains are produced out of out of Russia and Ukraine. Sudan, for example, gets 80% of its of its wheat from Ukraine and, and Russian markets. And even for countries that don't get wheat directly from those sources, it will affect world food prices. We see world food prices going up. So the resources it took to respond in the Horn of Africa or the Sahel to se severe drought and to displacement 
is going to be that much more expensive to help a child uh, to, to feed a family in those places as a result of the Ukraine crisis. So uh, even if we can sustain the level of support for those crises, it's going to go much less far because of what's happening in Ukraine. That was Gregory Rabb with the aid group Save the Children. He was speaking with my colleague Carol Ginsberg via Skype from Washington, D.C. The U.N. Security Council voted unanimously yesterday to endorse the African Union's new transitional mission in Somalia. The council authorized the transitional mission to take action against extremist groups, including al-Shabaab and al-Qaeda, and to operate the African Union mission in Somalia, known as Amison, which has been in Somalia for 15 years trying to build peace and security. The council resolution recognizes significant changes in the security situation and improvement in Somalia's capability to respond to security challenges. The council authorized AU nations to deploy nearly 20,000 soldiers and police officers this year, but to cut the force by 2,000 by December 31. The resolution notes the joint proposal from the AU and the Somalia government to end the peacekeeping force by late 2024. Cameroon is struggling to contain a cholera outbreak that has sickened 6,000 people with the bacteria and killed nearly 100 since February. Authorities have dispatched the ministers of health and water to affected areas and have begun quarantining cholera patients to prevent it from spreading. Moki Edward Kenzeka reports from Yaoundé, Cameroon. Cameroon's public health ministry says the number of cholera patients received in hospitals is growing by the day. In the seaside city of Limbe, in the past week alone, 200 of 300 patients were treated and discharged from the government hospital. Philbert Echo is the highest-ranking official in Cameroon's southwest region where Limbe is located. He says the region is the worst hit by cholera, more than 800 cases since February, forcing them to quarantine patients to prevent it from spreading. The treatment center will be separated from the hospital and from the public. No outsider will be allowed to have access to the patients. We don't want contact between family and the patients. We are taking upon ourselves, searching for resources to feed these patients free of charge. Cholera has sickened 6,000 people since February across Cameroon and killed nearly 100 Cameroon's public health ministry says many of those sickened by cholera do not go to hospitals seeking only traditional cures and end up dying at home, though no official figures are given. Health officials are urging traditional healers to direct their cholera patients to the closest hospital. Linda Eso is Director of Epidemics and Pandemics at Cameroon's public health ministry. She says cholera has spread to more than 40% of major towns, including the capital Yaoundé, the economic capital Douala, and western commercial towns like Boya, Limbe, and Bafusam. Eso says scores of villages have reported cases, and the entire country is threatened by the outbreak. She says the public should be very careful and protect themselves because contaminated persons may be spreading the disease without knowing it. Cameroon's president, Paul Bia, despised the ministers of health and water this week 
to cholera-affected areas to assess the situation. The two ministers blamed a shortage of clean drinking water in towns and villages brought on by the long dry season for rising cholera infections. They said medical staff were increased in the areas and about 30 new public toilets constructed in Limbe, Boya and Douala to improve public hygiene. The ministers called on the public to stop defecating in the open and in streams. Cameroon's Minister of Water, Gaston Elunu Esomba, says officials are also providing clean water to villages and towns hit by the outbreak. Esomba says he has asked the Cameroon Water Distribution Company, CamWater, to make sure trucks transport water regularly and free of charge to towns and villages that lack piped water. He says the water distribution company should immediately treat water in all community and family wells to ensure the public has quality drinking water. Cameroon's public health minister, Manaura Malashi, says Douala's new bell prison has become an epicenter of cholera. He says hygiene had been improved at the prison, but would not say how many of the more than 6,000 inmates were infected or died from the bacteria. Cameroon suffers from frequent cholera outbreaks. One of the worst in 2011 infected more than 23,000 people and killed more than 800. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. Following Saturday's by-elections in Zimbabwe, newly elected lawmakers will fill parliament and local government seats that became vacant due to party recalls and deaths of incumbents. The polls were seen as a preview of next year's elections when the opposition hopes to unseat the ruling ZANU-PF party. Kutais Venavaji has more for VOA from Harare. Nelson Chamisa is president of the Citizens Coalition for Change party, which was the biggest winner in Saturday's by-elections. And what we have now is 19 seats out of the contested 28. A resounding victory, an emphatic and landslide show by the citizens of Zimbabwe. Had it not been for rigging and other shenanigans that we saw, particularly in the countryside, would be talking of uh, almost uh, 26 out of 28. But tell you what, the citizens are very clear. They've made a bold statement. Chamisa says the run-up to the by-elections was marred by violence. We even lost one of our members. Some of our supporters were beaten and arrested. And many others were injured in Arare, in Kwekwe, and in the various parts of our country. One of our candidates in Mashonal and Centroid, their homestead, destroyed. Zimbabwean political analyst Pride Mukono says the absence of violence on the day of elections does minimize the fact that many other violations took place in the lead up to that day. There were clear moves to manipulate the election by the, the ruling parties and the PF. They were vote buying using millimil, groceries, and even money. Political analyst Vivid Gwede says the Zimbabwe Election Commission. OZEC has a lot of work to do ahead of next year's elections. If nothing is done to redress 
some of the concerns that have been raised by the opposition, such as uh, the state of the voters' role, uh, the cases of violence and reports of manipulation, we might blindly walk into another disputed election in 2023. In the aftermath of the by-elections, political actors say they are not taking a break from their campaigns as they gear up for next year's elections. ZANU-PF has been in power since Zimbabwe's independence in 1980. For VOA, this is Kudzai Jinawashi from Harare. China has delivered a Huawei-backed undersea cable to Kenya as Beijing moves forward with its so-called digital Silk Road and Africa seeks more high-tech infrastructure to improve internet connectivity. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg, South Africa. The Kenyan coastal city of Mombasa got a special delivery this week. A $425 million submarine cable that stretches from China to Africa and ends in Europe. Kenya Telecom CEO Mugo Kibati said the 15,000-kilometer cable would assist Kenya and the region in meeting its current and future broadband capacity requirements. Peace Cable is named for the major connections along its route, Pakistan and East Africa connecting Europe. A major shareholder is Chinese tech giant Huawei, which already has a large digital foothold in Africa. The project's COO, Sun Shihua, said in a statement that it would bring more business development to this region. But China's massive digital infrastructure investments have not been without controversy, with Washington concerned that they could threaten cybersecurity and be used for spying. However, Corbis van Staden, senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs, says most Africans simply want better internet. I think this peace cable is, you know, kind of is, is generally placed very positively in Africa. Um, obviously, the United States has raised a lot of concerns around this, particularly in relation to security. But um, I think for a lot of African countries, the security issue is actually balanced by the wider issue of a lack of connectivity. He says there is room for more players, but notes that Western countries now need to up their game if they wish to compete. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. The Muslim holy month of Ramadan, a time when Muslims abstain from food, drink, smoking and other activities from dusk to dawn daily, begins at sundown Saturday in most parts of the world. In many majority Muslim countries, working hours are reduced and restaurants close during fasting hours. At sunset, Muslims break their daily fast with the iftar, a meal shared with family and friends. Ramadan is the ninth month of the lunar Islamic calendar and start and end dates vary each year. According to conventional Islamic belief, the Quran, the Muslim holy book, was first revealed more than 1,400 years ago during Ramadan. This year will be the largest had since global coronavirus pandemic restrictions were enacted two years ago. Ramadan ends at sundown on May 1st. Armed groups linked to Al-Qaeda have increased attacks from Burkina Faso into neighboring Ivory Coast. Authorities in Ivory Coast say 13 cross-border attacks in the past year have spurred efforts to prevent militants from recruiting jobless youth. Henry Wilkins reports from the town of Congo. The Basilica of Our Lady of Peace in Ivory Coast's capital, Yamasukro, was built in part to memorialize former President Felix Soufoué Boini. For many Ivorians, his 33-year rule represented a period of stability. After his death, a conflict between North and South split the country in two until 2009. But since 2016, armed groups in the North linked to Al-Qaeda and Islamic State have carried out attacks. 
Rector of the Basilica, Father Frank Alatin, tells VOA that peace is an essential part of Ivory Coast culture. Peace, we should prepare for, prepare war. And uh, our, our first president, Felicity Fogoni, fought otherwise. For him, she wants peace, we should prepare for, for peace. And, and the way of preparing peace is uh, working on the mind, the heart of people. In January, the Ivorian government announced it would spend $55 million on a job creation program for youth. The program aims to win the hearts and minds of young unemployed men in the north who authorities say the terrorists target for recruitment. Frederick Cabran is with the Ministry for the Promotion of Youth, Professional Integration and Civic Service. He says the government analysed the situation and understood that it was necessary to provide an economic and social response to this fact. Cabran says one can't just solve the problem with armoured tanks or using only military force to fight terrorism. In the northern town of Kong, close to where attacks have taken place since 2020, young men struggle to find work. 25-year-old Taylor Bassini Canate opens his shop every day, despite few customers. He says there's not enough work for him in Kong. It's true that there are many people who went to school, says Canate, but as soon as they get their degree, they look for work elsewhere because there's no work here. Samu Bashiati is among Kong's unemployed. He says he didn't go to school except for Quranic school, but he learned to drive from local truck drivers. Bashiate says there is really no work. They're just waiting for the cement or cashew trucks to arrive, he says, so they can go and help unload and get some money. Meanwhile, analysts say terror groups offer incentives to recruit the area's youth. Jeffrey Julian Kowal is a political analyst at the Frederick Naumann Foundation in Bonn, Germany. He says in the north, young people are recruited for money. They're offered money, motorbikes and sometimes even plots of land for cultivation. Kowal says, especially for poverty-stricken populations, these are extremely important things. As for the tailor, Kanate, he says he's angry at the government. Of course I'm angry, he says, because if the government had set up companies and factories in the locality, young people would have had something to work with and make money. Despite multiple requests, Ivory Coast government was unable to introduce VOA to beneficiaries of its job creation project, although it says the project has started. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Kong, Ivory Coast. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Peter Clotter in Washington. All latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at viewingnews.com. And thank you again for tuning in and choosing the voice of America. host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music.
like to stay on top of new music trends, breakout artists, new releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music from bubu music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, afrobeat to ndombolo and makosa to kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 0905.